I'm Mike Bowie, your host of Small Moment Big Impact Podcast. In this next episode, I'm interviewing the fabulous realtor, Nick Meyer, and walking through his journey, finding out the small moment that created impact on his life and his business here in the Silicon Valley. Hey, it's Mike Bowie, your host with Small Moment, Big Impact Podcast. And today I have at It's Nick Meyer on the show. Couldn't be more excited to share with you a person that I respect so much in the real estate industry. Meeting you for the very first time a couple years back and now having the opportunity to work with you on a day-to-day basis, just hearing your story and what you've done and what you've accomplished in business has just been absolutely amazing from your journey from Bakersfield real estate to the Silicon Valley, building a family, let alone a real estate uh, empire in what you do. And in, in retrospect, working with clientele that range any in all price ranges and price points uh, to see what you're doing. And we're here today in Los Altos in a magnificent property that you and your client developer uh, contractor had built. And, and put together, uh, now that's on the market, 300 Quest to Drive. It's just amazing to see where you've come from to where you are today. And that's why I'm so excited to bring you onto the Small Moment Big Impact Podcast, because I know you have a lot of information, a lot of good content and nuggets that you can share with our listeners, our viewers about your entire journey itself. So welcome, Nick Meyer. Thank you for being on the show yeah, today. Thank you, Bowie, for that awesome intro. I feel very special to be here and excited to sit down and chat with you. Yeah, he's one that is very respected in our industry, yet once you get to know him, there is this huge side of humor that may come <laughs> out during this podcast. Hopefully, All right. we'll see. <laughs> All, right. All the dad jokes will come rolling, we'll pack the punch, make sure that we have the beats, all right, so to kind of get things started, share with me, Nick, uh, you've been in the business now for seven years, right? Uh, going on 10 years, Oh, actually, I'm so yeah. 10 years, well, time just flies. That's a, literally a decade. So before you got into the real estate business, what were you doing pre-real estate? Uh, Pre-real estate, I was in sales for AT&T and uh, made the transition in 2009 to real estate. I joined uh, my aunt's team. She was a very successful real estate agent down in Bakersfield, California. Awesome. And so I've always had an affinity for, for properties, buildings, real estate architecture. And so I felt like the natural progression was to get into real estate. And so I joined her team at a time that was just like, I, the, everyone told me it was the worst time possible, but uh, it was 2009, right oh. after the crash. And I, th- this is Bakersfield, so when I talk, when I say crash, I mean crash, crash. Yeah. And uh, but it was a great time to get in the business, learn, um, not pick up any bad habits that agents from the prior years had uh, kind developed. of developed and implemented into the industry. So uh, yeah, I, that's kind of my initial start. So break that down. When you say there was a downturn in 2009, what were the property prices down in Bakersfield? You had to sell a lot of property in order to eat. Right, so my first sale was $103,000. In Arvin, California, it's a really nice uh, new family. And uh, my lowest price point was 
$78,000. And this was a 1300 square foot home, which would be equivalent to about, I would say 950 here. Wow. And it, it was, it's unbelievable. At the time, I didn't think about those price points. Like that was just, that was just reality. Yeah. And that's just what was normal for that area. Fast forward right now, we're sitting in a beautiful home that's, share with us just the details of this property. So this wonderful home is in Los Altos. It's okay. uh, a 10 minute walk to the, the charming 1950 style village that they have. The home itself is 3395 square feet, five bedrooms, four and a half bathrooms, custom built. I like to call it a, uh, modern Mediterranean or a transitional Mediterranean right. because it uh, has some flair of modern but still has that r- rustic charm to it. Yeah, definitely. And it's listed on the market for? We're on the market for 3800000 which is unrivaled in price for the location, amenities, size here in Los Altos. $3.8 So circle back to when we're talking about Bakersfield prices and your first (laughs) sell at (laughs) $78,000 and now selling homes, uh, this home here, that's $3.8 million. What's the difference between uh, selling a $78,000 home versus $3.8 million home? Well, it's a huge difference. It's a lot more time, a lot more effort, a lot more focus. Um, It's not necessarily different on the way you work with the client, I would say. Um, the, the level of business that I bring to my clients is the same regardless of the price point, but just the level of preparation is a lot different. For this particular property, this has been almost a year in the work for, for myself from when I took over this listing from a previous agent who uh, wasn't able to sell it and back at the height of the market especially. And so it's just a lot more prep, a lot more dedication, and um, a lot, just a lot more focus and energy. You have to keep that energy up for yourself to stay motivated and for the client as well to keep them going through the process regardless of all the things that are out of their control. Yeah, because at the end of the day, the clients don't change. Right. It's, it's the properties. And uh, being in real estate myself, always looking at different price points, always trying to attain the next uh, biggest listing or best listing there. At the end of the day, our client is our client. Uh, and it's a lifestyle type thing, wherever they wanna go, wherever they wanna buy. And I definitely see that uh, in your business is you sell uh, homes in all sorts, uh, all different ranges, but to see that now you're specializing in a certain area or a certain price point, uh, it's amazing to see that transition just within 10 years there. Um, so, so when you were in Bakersfield, uh, how long did you work a part of uh, the team there before you transitioned to selling real estate in the Silicon Valley? So I was a part of that team for two years. And between those two years, collectively, the team did around 120 transactions. Wow. And uh, it, so after that two years, I actually moved to Sacramento for a hot minute. And uh, That's my hometown. Yep. And uh, Sacktown. And so when I was in Sacramento for eight months, that's when I was um, poached by like Redfin, okay. the, the real estate tech firm. And but the position was for a Sacramento position, but then just some things didn't work out there. So they asked if I could move to uh, the Bay Area. And that's how I got my my start into Bay Area real estate. OK. And moving, um, I know it takes a lot to 
move from one location where you grew up in to another location and then to one of the most competitive areas in all of the world, I right. have to say. <laughs> how was your support group, how was your tribe or your village uh, behind me, behind you? Share with me a little bit about that transition, who is with you and all. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I don't think anyone wishes anyone to get into real estate. Yeah. Let's, I mean, let's just put that out there. Yeah. Um, I didn't necessarily have the most supportive family in that regards, I would say. It wasn't like they highly discouraged me from it. It wasn't, but it was more like, oh, okay. And uh, even though my aunt that I had joined was very successful, it was still kind of like, yeah, we'll, we'll see how long this lasts. Like you're getting into real estate. In 2009. Yeah. Well, there, whenever there is a downturn, there's always opportunity. Right. And when you're at that base level of 2009, because I got started roughly around the same time too as well, mm -hmm. uh, doing a thing called short sales that were by no means short whatsoever. Right. It became the longest transactions ever. When you talk about career listings, take on a short sell and with multiple lenders, and then you'll see that is the longest sell ever. But at the end of the day, we go and we grind the ax and we work through it to, to get it done. So when, when you moved, were you um, in a relationship? Did you have a girlfriend, wife at the time? I, it's hard to just move a, a, around alone. Sure, yeah, I mean, I was, I was uh, let's see, I was 24 years old, immature. Uh, I, was, I was in a relationship in Bakersfield, okay. and I just uh, wasn't feeling it down there. Yeah. I just didn't want to be there anymore, and yeah. so we broke up, and because I just, wasn't the right mindset to be in a relationship and you know cultivate that business that I had down there and I want to get out. So I moved and then um, roughly a year later, I was like, what a stupid decision did I make that I made? And so called her back up, took a lot of uh, a lot of begging and pleading and uh, she had moved out of Bakersfield as well at that okay. point and and was um, growing her career okay. and had moved to Bloomington, Indiana. And uh, that's a big change too. Uh, for sure. For sure. We both made big changes. And so I, yeah, I, I invited her out to a family vacation in Lake Tahoe. And basically, we were back together somewhat at that point. And I would say it was four months later, she moved out here to San Jose with me and uh, been together for, or been married now for six years. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a, it's amazing journey. <laughs> how uh, you're able to actually go back, accept the mistakes. Oh, and that is like the hardest thing for this guy to do. I yeah. mean, it, but I, I owned it. I yeah. owned it, I owned my, I, my, I owned my mistakes and, and she forgave me and um, yeah, it's. You're, you're able to move uh, forward from that. So fast forward till uh, today, now you two have two beautiful children. Thank you. A business worth owning and running at the same time, right? Because being in real estate is not just buying and selling real estate for your clients. It's a true business. It is a business. And a lot of people um, who are outside looking into our industry, uh, and it's, it's terrible that we have that stigma that we're just like used cars salesmen, not to knock anybody in sales whatsoever. Um, that's the stigma. And I remember uh, when I got into real estate, there were a lot of people saying, wow, you're getting into real estate. 
And I, I, from our conversation here, I see that's what, what your take was. How did that change? How does, how does one, your family members and your friends now see you as a top performing agent within the Silicon Valley, um, having a beautiful family, two young children, a new, a new baby actually, uh, share with us what their perspective of you is now today. I mean, that interesting question. Um, with regards to family, I think I keep a lot of my business guarded. I don't really shout from the rooftops of what I do as probably as much as I really should. Yeah. Um, You're a secret agent it, still. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's one of those things where I try to keep it calm. It's easy to get kind of like braggadocious in this business. Of and so I try to keep it mellow. But um, there's probably some aspects that a lot of my family doesn't even realize of my life up here in Silicon Valley because they're they're not local, they're not present, they're not involved every day. Yeah. And so um, I think they're starting to slowly see that side of things, but it's still it's still a work in progress actually. Wow, okay. Yeah, and um, so when we're talking about uh, the business aspect uh, itself, how do you run your day-to-day -day business? Because as a business owner in real estate, you have marketing, you have advertising, you have client-facing consultations, sure. and then you have the actual doing the business of real estate that it's not glorified uh, on television, right. which is the transactional documents, the due diligence process. Walk us through a day in the life of Nick Meyer, like Q1 of 2018, or even before that, how do you prep or how do you balance and how do you make that work? Scheduling, okay. um, time blocking. It's, it's, I would say the most critical thing to keep yourself focused, um, energized and to not get burnout. I think because, you know, we are independent business owners. Um, so there's lots of flexibility that goes with that. So regardless if you're busy or not busy, you have to stay focused. And I think you could get burned out in either direction. Because if you're not busy and you're not staying focused and, and making calls and connecting with people, uh, then you start letting that uh, flexibility get to you and then you have to play catch up. And then it's, that's not fun catch up. That's not fun work. Um, but it. then on the opposite end of the spectrum, if you're too busy and you're not staying focused with time blocking and managing it all correctly, then again, it's a, it's a catch up game and it's not focusing on what you really should be focusing on. Okay, so scheduling is something that's huge for you. And uh, working with you, I've realized that you are a man of apps. Right, right. There's an app literally <laughs> for everything. I don't even do. know if it actually makes my life easier, but I have an app for everything. Okay, <laughs> so uh, in the business, uh, in the real estate business realm, what are the top apps that you're using that helps you with scheduling for one mainly just google calendar okay. i mean creating different calendars for transactions so if when a new transaction comes up i create a calendar just for that and i put in all the key dates and reminders and tasks everything that's involved with that to stay organized okay. um, so really just calendaring 
Um, simple Google Calendar is, is my main focus, um, but I have different apps for keeping clients in contact with um, their transactions so they know where they are every step of the process. Share with us, there's no trade secrets here. Yeah. What is that app? That, you're that app is Folio. Folio, and okay, I use Folio. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, I have the, the top tier version, so my clients, you know, everyone around here is so techy. Yes. They like apps themselves. They, you know, don't necessarily want to just have a phone call and say, hey, here's where we are. They want to be able to log on online and check, take a look at, see what, how everything's um, uh, progressing. And so uh, I use Folio and then just a multi multitude of different apps. So for Folio, I know we're going to kind of get into the weeds, but I think it's good for our, our, our listeners to find out a little bit more about the app itself because we may have some listeners or viewers who are in the real estate business mm -hmm. who or who may be in any other business that can use Folio too. Sure. Um, I, I know from my understanding of using the app itself is being able to put our, if we're working with a client who's purchasing a property uh, into the mix, uh, whether it's two people, three people, four people, and you can also plug in uh, inspectors, transaction coordinators, down to your escrow uh, company and everyone else down the line and right. just set key dates and et cetera. And it, yeah. it, um, it syncs with your Google Calendar. Exactly, it syncs with the Google Calendar, so it creates that transaction on there for us, and uh, it reminds us of all, of all the tasks. And like you were mentioning, we were able to put or hand select our trusted third party vendors, so like the, the inspectors, the escrow officers, um, any type of uh, you know the movers, yeah. and so they can see all that, and they have those contacts in there throughout the tra the, the transaction and they can reach out to them at their convenience. And, and um, it's really kind of just their, their digital dashboard of wow. their purchase. So when you're inputting a client and you're working with a client there, um, I'd love to hear the type of experience level that they are having while working with you and the efficiencies. Uh, so share with me a little, just what, what's the most best experience that you've created for a client kind of walk us cradle to the grave so i i would say a lot of my business is actually referral based and it comes from often uh clients or or they're not clients yet but they're referrals from past clients or friends and usually these particular um, future clients they have already begun their home search or home selling process and then it just didn't work out. There's some sort of disconnect between them and the agent that they were working with. And usually it's just, it's like a lack of trust. Um, I, it's easy in this business to kind of just focus on, you know, deal after deal after deal after deal. Transactional and getting that And getting that commission check. I mean, cause that's, I mean, we all, we're, we do this to make money, of course. Yeah. We work to make money. Yeah. Everybody works to make money. We're, we're in business. And right. Every business has to generate revenue. Right. Revenue adds to your bottom line. Exactly. Uh, and that that's crucial. Uh, but for your clients, when they're working with you throughout this process, by having these efficiencies, do you see it that it's a smoother ride for them? I know a lot of the real estate coaches out there say that, you know, um, we're going to be on this flight together mm -hmm. and I'm your pilot and trust me that we're going to go through some turbulence throughout the time, <laughs> but I'm always going to get you down to that safe landing. Right. All right. So how, how does one work with you and attain that safe 
smooth landing there. So I kind of liken it to uh, dating. Okay. Probably like a really, really terrible first date actually. Right. So I lay it out all out on the table. I say, this is the way I work. This is expectations that I have from you as a client. And I hope you have certain expectations from me as your agent. And I you say, this can be a very short process. It can be a couple weeks or it can be a, several years depending on how the whole process goes. So we better like one another yeah. and uh, get along with one another. And I want the, the feelings to be mutual. And uh, once I, I kind of established that, and you know, it, it usually takes a few more dates um, before I think that trust is really established. Or when I say dates, I would say maybe offers, okay. um, especially if they're a first time buyer to you know let them kind of ease into the in the water basically with their offers and uh, get them comfortable with me with the whole process and then it's like okay you know we trust this guy i'm gonna hit you with a hard question okay so you take it as a dating process which is really interesting <laughs> I, I i love that uh, approach of yours uh for what if you go on a bad date what if that first offer that you wrote they weren't quite ready and it was their dream home Mm -hmm. Has that ever happened before? Yes, and it doesn't come out until later um, oh. because they ha we haven't built that trust yet. And if they have not let down their guard as well, I might not have known that was their dream home. They didn't express that to me. So I tried to avoid that situation by building that trust, taking them to properties beforehand, and then they really open up and they tell you the truth. And uh, it, again- The truth is important. The truth is important, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's like the worst call ever when they're like, we just lost our dream house. And I'm like, you guys were in here for five minutes and expressed no interest whatsoever. What are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, so it's building trust is, is, the, is the key to, I think, my business. So in order to build trust, you have to have really strong communication. Correct. Right. right. Oh, yeah. So in addition to your business, using multiple different apps to make it efficient, uh, how do you because I know we live in a world in Silicon Valley where people say we're this bubble mm -hmm. and then we get all the top uh, finance people and everyone saying that we're our own ecosystem. Right. We have our own economy and all. Um, how do you communicate with your clients? Um, do, is it the standard phone calls? Is it text messages and emails? And uh, how do you balance that? Sure. Uh, I think kind of in the initial uh, consultation that I have with my clients, I try to gauge what their preferred method of communication is. Okay. Uh, you know, around here, everybody loves texting or using WhatsApp. Um, I think over email or phone calls. And so those are for the quick, rapid you know, hey, here's a quick update, or hey, can you meet me here somewhere at this time, versus giving them a call for everything. Because they're busy people too. They're in their offices, they're, they have meetings. They don't want to be disrupted by phone calls, but they might be able to take a look at, at you know, their WhatsApp or their, their phone for a text message. So um, it's really kind of, I tailor it based off of what works best for them. Awesome. Oh, I think that's crucial, because you communicate with someone the way that they like to be communicated with. Mm -hmm. And you turned me onto an app that I just can't stop using. And it's called Spike. Oh. How, did you, how did you even hear oh, about I'm this addicted. app or how did you find out about it? And uh, tell, a, t tell me a little <laughs> bit more about how you're so, using that. 
I mean, honestly, I spend way too much time looking at new technology. I mean, but it's something I like doing. It, it's uh, it's kind of like maybe somewhat of a stress release. It's it's like mentally blocking everything else out, just taking a look and seeing what else is out there. What's you know what's new and fresh and and fun to use and makes like hopefully makes life a little bit easier. And so Spike is this email app that I use that um, that got Mike here on. Uh, to, to use as well. And it's just, it's email, but it's, it's condensed into like a text format. So it, it just keeps it clean, clear, concise, and it makes it fun to use and email people back. I think it's, I think it's probably all mental, honestly, but, uh, uh cause emails I think could be a little daunting. Yeah. I it mean, cuts out yeah. all of the signatures, right? For those of you who are in the real estate industry and everyone has a really big, massive, signature with all their information on there and everything to where when you're looking at a thread of 35 emails that are going back and forth you're just thinking okay i have to scroll through all this i know through <laughs> google and other uh, email providers that it can kind of truncate it mm -hmm. down but by far nothing like spike where it just takes it down to their name and what do they call it alphabet soup after the the, the realtor's name because they have all their designations yeah, you got ABR, SRES. <laughs> uh, there's just so many to it. And then you have, uh, now that you get to add that on, was Selling Dubai to us, well right. Because you got a license out there. Right, yeah. yeah. How was that process? You know? I mean, that was a whirlwind and a half, but uh, it was a great trip that uh, you went on with me. And uh, we tackled that together. It was part of ARIA, the Asian Real Estate Association of America. Um, we were invited to go out to Dubai and, and take a look at their properties and learn about the country and what they have to offer and kind of their, their vision, their very grand vision for the future and learn about that, bring that back here to the States and, and promote it because, you know, there's kind of a misconception with, um, Middle Eastern countries and how they operate. And so we looked at it from an investment standpoint and yeah, it, I mean, it was, it was, such a great trip. I, I want to go back already. <laughs> Did you ever think that getting into real estate would get you to do international real estate? Hell no. I mean, I'm from Bakersfield, California. Like people think, you know, they that were just ride around on horses and don't wear shoes. <laughs> okay, maybe that was a little too uh, too me too much of a dig on my hometown there, but. Uh, no, I, I never thought I would end up in in Dubai touring properties there as part of my job. I mean, it, it's incredible, but um, that's kind of after I would say a few years ago, I really found a passion um, for travel. I've always liked traveling to begin with, but um, and I've always thought about how can I turn that into part of my business? Yes. And real estate doesn't have to be local and i don't want it to be local for my business i want to be an advisor for my clients regardless of where they are or where they're going so i think for the future i'm able i'm looking towards merging the two together travel and real estate and expanding globally maybe not expanding team wise but just my area of concentration yeah your 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 area of expertise of being able to be 
that resource for your client when they need it, wherever they are across right. the globe. Right. And I think that's one of the fantastic things when uh, we have our partnership with Leverage Global Partners. We right. literally have a partner in 156 different countries uh, that we're able to tap on if we're in Italy or if we're in Rome or France. Um, those are areas that I absolutely love. So it just rolls <laughs> off the tip of my tongue there uh, immediately. But if you were to go back seven years uh, in real estate, what would you have done differently if you st would have stayed in Bakersfield? I think I probably would not necessarily be like a regular realtor just doing the, the typical transactions. I would have tried to have segued myself into new developments and construction, which is something I wanna do up here as well. But I think I probably would have had the op opportunities to have done that sooner there just because of the price points and the um, the, the access to um, money and and because it's the cost of living is lower down there. I'm certain there's still a lot of land there. There's still a lot of land. They're still building. You know, you don't have to go through a whole year process of fighting the cities and fighting your neighbors to build a property there. Um, and so, yeah, I think it would have looked a little bit different than how it is now. So I just like I think how people start their families here, they start it later in life. I'm looking at it like I just have to be patient, keep doing what I'm doing and build it out slowly because that's the way it just, it just works here. Yeah, laying down that foundation brick by brick mm -hmm. uh, and really just using that as a stepping stone and the experience behind it to get you to where you wanna go. So looking into the future for Nick Meyer and your real estate business itself, what is the goal? The goal is to be self-sustaining, to have a self-sustaining business that has different facets of that. Okay. So I never want to give up the the residential sales portion of this. Um, but I what about the residential sales portion of it that you don't want to give up? One working with that close relationship with the 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 person. Um, I think it brings a certain level of like humanity to the business where. You know, you're handing keys over to that first time buyer or that family that's worked really hard for the last 10 years to save up and buy their first home. Um, I That part's always great and, get, and gets me all warm and fuzzy. But um, I also want to have other facets of the business that are more in line with my passion. So my passion for design and construction and architecture. So I want to have a role in that process. I want to design properties and build them and then sell them. So, I mean, that's that's really the end goal is to be a to be a real estate developer um, of luxury high-end properties. Yeah, that's kind of the natural progression that we've seen here in the Bay Area. Right. Um, and you sell real estate, right? They say that you can become rich selling real estate, but you won't become wealthy doing it unless you're doing it for yourself. There. Exactly. Um, so we, we've seen this uh, progression quite a bit. And it's really interesting because you're reading all these articles online and um, you're, you're seeing things on blogs and vlogs all the time about all these brand new beautiful spec homes, mm -hmm. like the one that we're sitting in today, mm -hmm. right? If you just go down to LA, Beverly Hills, um, all those areas, there are 20, 30, 50 brand new spec homes and those that are still in the works for 20 million plus all the way up to $500 million. What are you seeing here in the Silicon Valley um, in our market 
uh, about these new spec homes and who's buying them and how fast are the, the rate of returns for them? Yeah, so um, let's just take this property for example. Uh, this, through different marketing efforts that we made, I have a certain style and um, aesthetic that I like to go for with all my listings. And so it actually brought in 90 different groups of people through the past three days from Friday through Sunday. And what I saw, um, at least in this particular market here in Los Altos, it's a lot of multi-generational families that are interested in these larger uh, spec homes. They want new construction, they don't want to remodel. And they're looking for, typically it would be the parents coming in with their kids, looking to either buy the home for their kids or help them out with the purchase or just get them closer to where they are. And the, the home ownership is incredibly important to a lot of different cultures around here. And so that's kind of what I was seeing where the most interested people were young families wanting to be close to mom and dad or have mom and dad move in with them. Yeah, this amazing property here, you have almost a master suite on the first uh, level. It's crucial these days. You have to have a guest suite. Even the, the track home builders uh, in other markets, um, you know, 20 minutes away from here, they're having to build their properties with at least the flexibility to have a full true guest suite because that's just the direction that um, the, the, the family dynamic is going here. And for the properties itself, are you seeing that they're selling um, a lot faster? Are they selling slower? Uh, how is the market here in this Los Altos area? It's, it's, an, it's an unbelievable market. So the average days on market is 11 days. Wow. The average sales price is around three and a half million. And uh, it just depends on the specific property, the high end. So like six billion plus is taking a little bit longer to sell. But in the th anywhere below five million is still relatively quick if it's a great property and um, it's presented well. Oh, that's amazing. 11 days, that is a very quick absorption uh, rate <laughs> of, is, uh, yeah. of properties. And that's why when we're reading these articles or we're seeing all these things that are on the internet or um, the news channels, they're, would you say that they're almost always late? Oh yeah, they're late to the game or they are too, um, too broad in the in the areas that they're trying to cover. Yeah. So, like I just recently read an article that Zillow put out saying that the the San Jose, the Silicon Valley market has completely peaked and prices are just going to plummet. Falling. Falling. Yes. And so that has a lot of buyers tricked right now. They're going into these open houses and they think they're kings and that they have all the time in the world and that they're gonna just negotiate the heck out of that seller and, and get a deal. When that's not the case, the data still shows it's a seller's market in most cases. And so I think they are going out making offers on property and losing out because they have the wrong mindset, but you know they don't listen. That's where the trust and the value comes in as an agent Correct. is we have the insider knowledge, we have the data, not Zillow, not Redfin, not any of these large, um, real estate aggregate websites. And uh, so that's where, again, like we try it's to- It's that local knowledge. It's our local knowledge. And we really know what's going on, what the offers are like that are being made on properties and how that process is going. So I try to have that gentle conversation with people that come through my open houses and you know educate them a little bit, provide some value that they could take back to regardless of who they're working with.
Yeah, I think that's crucial. Is that you take media with a grain of salt, mm -hmm. and then you have to do the actual uh, market information or take that in from going out to open houses right. um, as a buyer or as a seller uh, or anyone who's interested in real estate purchasing or selling. That to hear multiple agents perspectives uh, on that actual market mm -hmm. uh, itself. Because we have areas uh, all throughout Santa Clara County, there are some that have um, more properties than they're used to on the market where the market has appeared to be saturated. Right. And then there's certain areas that are still having a high in demand where you're seeing 100, 150, $180,000 above uh, list price uh, offers. Mm -hmm. But the media is putting it down as things are falling. So they're changing their mindset of, of the uh, ones who are interested in, in real estate until they they get hit with that brick wall. Right. Uh, it, it just hit, hits them right in the face. That, wow, I just made an offer at list price and there were 10 offers on there and it sold for $180,000 uh, over. Where do I have to offer next mm -hmm. in order to get my dream home? Yeah, right. It, a lot of it is a mental game. Um, even those areas that you're mentioning that are what might be considered saturated, uh, from a numbers perspective, it's those markets are still technically a seller's market. But I think a lot of it is the buyer's mindset that it's not. Yeah. So they're not pulling the trigger on these properties and they're waiting to see how things play out even though you know the market could shift a different direction again interest rates could go up or go back down and create more demand it's it's hard to say exactly but uh i think the media is playing a big role in in kind of skewing the the outlook yeah so year over year from last year to this year where would you say the amount of uh inventory is and how that has uh, affected the overall outlook of the Bay Area real estate. Sure, yeah, so inventory's increased. Uh, we're over, I think we're close to 2,500 properties in Santa Clara County. That's huge. It's, it's big, but if you look at it from a, a perspective of a population of 2 million people, it's very low. Um, like my hometown, for example, in Bakersfield, I think on average they have 2,000 properties on the market at any given time, and it's a population of I think 450,000. Wow. And they still have properties that sell really quick, like the day they get listed and they have properties that sit just like here. But I think here, everyone, it's such a big purchase. I mean, so much money's involved. I mean, it's a big purchase down there for people too, but it's such a big purchase here. And they probably saved up for so long that they really want to make sure they're making the right decision. Yeah. And so they're a little bit more leery of when the market shifts just a little bit on what to do. And much I, more cautious, much right? more cautious. But I think that's also because they're not being coached the right way as well. Got it. As we got average price points here in the Bay Area, if you're looking at just all Santa Clara County, it's about 1.2 million is the mm -hmm. average uh, sales price. And if you really break that down, 20%, it's $240,000. It's a lot of money, it's a lot of money. Uh, that could be one year's worth of a combined uh, salary right. just for a down payment. Right. So it takes years and years and years and years, unless you're having uh, stock options and stocks vesting and you're part of an IPO or Which there's we just- We see a lot, we yeah. see a lot of that. And that's, those are pretty much the buyers that are out there aggressively buying right now is because they look at it long-term and not necessarily like, okay, I'm buying right now, what's gonna be like in three years when we decide to 
move out of the area. Mm-hmm. Um, it's those, it's the ones that are here for the long term, that are with the big tech companies, or you know, the ones that totally embrace the lifestyle here and are looking forward to expanding and and growing. That see the value. Yeah, it's a Silicon Valley mindset. Right. <laughs> right. You have to be in it for the long haul there. So in in your business, the next three years, um, would you say that by working with developers and contractors and everything now to build spec homes, is that the, the way of the path of Nick Meyer is getting closer and closer to doing that? Definitely. Um, it's, it's just something I really enjoy doing. Uh, for this house, for example, when I took this over, uh, there was a lot of changes that I recommended to be made for the for the property. So I came in and had them revamp the place. We I chose the paint colors, the, some of the lighting fixtures, uh, landscaping. It's you know there, it's there's a lot more to it than just signing that listing agreement, throwing it on the internet, and seeing what happens. And praying for a uh, for a buyer to come. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's proactive. it's a full hands-on, getting dirty process. And that's what I love about it. And yeah. plus, I, it kind of allows me to bring out like the creative side in me um, by it, making these choices and helping them make the selections and um, having some role in the, the design aspect of it. Okay. And so doing all this in your business on a day-to-day basis and just really growing your business itself and being a family man too uh, at home, uh, how do you sh- strike that balance between because um, I know you have young ones. How old yeah, are you? two and a half years old. My son Conrad is two and a half years old. Uh, my daughter Carly is; she'll be six months this week. Wow! And it's tough. I mean, it's all about the zip fizz <laughs> right now. Um, you but, and your zip fizz. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, it's it's it, you have to be able to juggle both the business and and family because this young age, it's so important to be a part of their life and and, and teach them and um, nurture them and, and watch them grow. And it's easy to kind of push things aside in this business and get, you know, lose track of focus of what's really important. And at the end of the day, everything I'm doing and trying to build up is basically for them. Yes. And I really found that that's where the motivation came from. Before that, it was just like work, get that check, you know, go on a vacation or buy something nice or like a gift or a reward. Right. And uh, now it's like, crap, I got two little kids. It's expensive living here. They're going to have tuitions and, and uh, you know, sports that they're going to be involved in and all the stuff that is involved with that and traveling. And so it's a whole new like concentration and focus and, and, um, goal basically, and it's just to make sure they have the best life possible. Yeah, you want to be able to provide for them. So the theme of our podcast is small moment, big impact, um, and kind of hearing your story, your journey in real estate, where you started, where you are at today, what you're looking to do in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say is that small moment for Nick Meyer? that made a big impact in your life and your business? So, I mean, I don't know if I would necessarily call it a small moment, but I would say it led to a bigger impact of what I'm doing now is um, I, when I, right after high school, I went away to UC Santa Barbara, um, but realized that the money wasn't there to pay for it for the entire time. So I'm like, I'm already saddled in, in student loan debt and just not the path that I wanted to go down. So that's when I moved back to Bakersfield, 
did a few different sales types jobs. And because unfortunately at that time, at that uh, point in time, the, the job force market was terrible, and especially for someone who didn't finish school. And so um, that's when I looked into real estate. I, I was afraid to kind of make that leap into it because I always looked at it like it's something that's old and stodgy and, and uh, no one wants to work with a young person who doesn't know what, what, what they're doing. And that's how I looked at it. It was kind of just personal insecurities, I guess. And so that when I finally made the leap into it and, and decided to follow a passion of, of properties and, and architecture and being surrounded in that environment um, and being personally, I'm, I'm an introvert and I never thought it would work out in this business. But um, when I joined my aunt's team, uh, she's an introvert as well, but she was consistently one of the number one agents in the area. And I think it's that moment seeing that kind of all together has what's made the big impact on me is knowing that I can move forward and do this. And, and, you know, during those series of moments, was it where you're building a mindset or creating the Nick Meyer 2.0 <laughs> that you are today, uh -huh. that you're able to actually take that leap of faith and really just muscle through it in order to get there. Yeah, I mean, it was rough at the beginning. Uh, even doing real estate down there, at the price points that we were working with, you had to do a lot of deals to make any money. And then I was on a team, so of course I was split on, on what was coming in. So it was like a lot of work for no money. And I just thought like this- Grand is experience though. Great experience yeah. for sure. And then especially making that leap to move out of the area that I was familiar with the most and moving into a market that I have no idea how it works and having to learn the ropes and the nuances of how things work in that area um, was, it was honestly eye-opening. Once I got past that, it was like, it's good. You know, you can you can do anything. You're uh, able to withstand. You're able to withstand it. Yeah. And sure, I probably racked up lots of credit card debt for a while to get going, but um, you know, you have to make that that bold move to do it. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Yeah, you have to you go. You can't bold. be afraid. Yeah. And that's something that I was always very insecure about. And uh, I'm still working on it. Luckily, I have a very supportive wife who uh, fortunately, she's a, an accountant, which, you know, for us real estate agents, we like to not look at those kind of numbers all the time when it comes to our business. But again, like we're running a business, so you yes. have to be all about the numbers and she keeps me in focus with that. But, um, we also take very calculated risk on making new, um, new efforts or new strategies. New yeah. Oh, so you have a series of little moments there. It's a series of little moments. Yeah. yeah series yeah. of little moments, but they all kind of added to each other mm -hmm. to get to your, your, your life now itself. Would you say that your wife played a big role in that? Definitely, definitely. There was probably moments where, uh, you know, cause she's a very, she likes to be stable. She's a stable person. I mean, she's an accountant. So um, for her to get in, involved with someone who is in a business like we're in, you know, it takes a lot of um, uh, discipline. discipline, discipline and um, confidence and uh, just, love and support really because it can be trying on um you know a marriage and families and and because the time away can be 
it could be you know insane with open houses on weekends and and demanding clients and uh so yeah just a series of little moments and that have led to where i'm at wow that's amazing i i really appreciate you sharing and getting into uh, the details of it. And Amy, you know, we love you uh, and appreciate all that you've done for, for Nick Meyer here too. So any last words, any inspirational uh, message that you'd like to give out to those who might be wanting to start in, in the real estate business or getting to business uh, themselves? Because you've gone through it all. Mm -hmm. You you went from the rocky bottoms. Uh, and I learned something new about you today is that you started off at um, Santa Barbara and you said that this debt load is just way too high. Mm -hmm. um, is there any inspirational message that you'd like to leave with our audience today that's listening on it? Yeah, I think um, what I learned is I should have just sucked it up and not let the little insecurities get to me and just make that bold move from the get go. Like follow the passion, be yourself. Um, I, I feel like through this progress, it's easy to kind of want to be like somebody else in the business. But that inauthenticity kind of shows through. So, I mean, just be yourself, follow the passion, and uh, don't be afraid to take those risks because the money will, you know, if you, if you do it correctly and, and truthfully, it'll be there. And uh, so, yeah, just, just making the bold move. and So passion, passion making the moves, and being fearless. Fearless, for sure. Yeah. Yes, yes, definitely. Awesome. Well, if uh, you want to find out more information on Nick Meyer, follow him on his uh, Instagram, Facebook. We'll put all the links down uh, below. But I want to thank you, Nick, for being a part of the Small Moment Big Impact podcast and really sh sharing your series of small moments uh, that led to the big impact in your life and your business. So truly appreciate you being a part of the show. Thank yeah, you so thank much. Thank you for having me, Mike. It was a great honor. Uh,